Welcome. This is our first mini series of interviews, and we are going to start with an exploration into the motivation to relocate and teach internationally. We are talking to several international educators to examine how their careers, interests and values have been shaped by decisions to teach abroad. We look at the positives of teaching internationally, as well as the challenges our educators have experienced along the way. We are delighted to be speaking to Nick Botting, an experienced educator and head who has worked across many regions, China, Finland, Qatar, Phuket, to name a few. Currently the Chief Instructional Officer for Basis International Schools China. Welcome, Nick. Thank you, it's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. So we're going to jump straight in with our first question. What motivated you to make the move from the UK to your first international position? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. So um, when you're as old as me, you're, you might remember the end of the 80s and the start of the 90s. were not a great time for teachers in the UK. Um, in fact, my first year as a teacher, I, I was actually on strike uh, on more than one occasion. I think that was back in 85. So by the time we got to sort of 1990, um, there was a lot of rumblings in the profession and the national curriculum was just appearing. Mm. So we went to a bunch of meetings and a number of union reps stood up and said that this was the end of teaching as we know it. So a number of us, you know, just started to look around, um, but we had no idea about working internationally. We used to look in the Times Educational Supplement, which was a newspaper back in those days. You know, we'd sit down a Friday afternoon in the staff room looking at a job in the Bahamas or somewhere like that. But he was dreaming. We had no idea really what we were doing. And um, that summer I was on holiday and I met my future wife on a Greek island, in fact. And so when we came to discuss marriage plans and where we might live, she was quite surprised when I said, well, I'm very happy to leave the UK. Um, I'll come and live where you are. And she was based in Finland. And back then, Finland was pretty much unknown as an education hub i think nowadays everyone is, is pretty familiar with the finnish education system uh, but i just kind of blindly i was in love you know it's that kind of thing where you just think oh well let's just do it so i sold my house i gave up my job as a mathematics teacher in a in a prestigious school in the, in the north of england and um hot-footed it to finland without a job um and fortunately very fortunately after a phone call which lasted about three minutes, uh, I'd managed to secure an interview at a school in Helsinki that was just opening its first IB section. I didn't actually know what the IB was. Uh, I didn't know anything about the school and I didn't speak any Finnish at this point, but I turned up and I got the job and I haven't looked back since. Wow. Um, so a very kind of adventurous spirit that you're willing to kind of just jump jump straight in. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so how have your experiences of international education kind of compared to the UK? You've taught in lots of different places. How has that compared? Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I mean, when I moved to Finland, I, I really struggled to begin with working. Um, although I was teaching the IB, I was working with Finnish kids in a Finnish school. And the Finnish education system is light years away from the British one. You know, the British one is, is or at least then, was, was full of rigidities, there were ways of doing things and, and we knew what the rules were. We knew the expectations and, and that's what we did. We, we followed all of those things. And the Finns didn't really go for much of that at all. Their approach was much more child-centered. Um, the students were all powerful in many ways. And for the first two years, I think I, I sort of railed against this. 
And then eventually my wife sort of sat me down and she said, well, the system isn't going to change. So maybe you should, you know, make some adjustments to your practice. Um, I then discovered constructivism and I started to just get my head around the finished model. And the rest of it was 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 great. You know, I, I massively enjoyed it. Um, we had great classes. They were all, they were always based about dialogue. Um, students and, and teachers really really were working together. It was a great collaboration. And then I moved to Thailand to work to the first Dulwich overseas uh, in Phuket. And of course, that was going back to British the British model again. And um, all of the Thai children had signed up for the British system and they were expecting all the rules and the regulations and uh, and I'd moved. So to some extent, I had to move back again uh, and adjust my practice back to some more British ways of doing things. Although I, I by then I'd, I'd sort of realised that that wasn't the best way to operate uh, and I was eager to influence my colleagues and that, that might have been a reason for going into management in a sense to say, you know, there is a better way of doing things and the finished model, in fact, has an awful lot going for it. Um, and then since then, you know, it's been, um, I have worked, I've worked for Dulwich more than once and, um, you know, the elements of the British model definitely um, mm. embedded there. But I've also worked in all through IB schools and where, where it's pure IB and it's pure inquiry. Um, and that was much more like the, like the Finnish model. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. So it seems that kind of that Finnish model really then... Um implemented and, and really directed your teaching. So that kind of leads us quite nicely into our next question. So how have your experiences teaching internationally driven your career paths and interests? Yeah, um, so the, the career path piece, I think is interesting internationally because you, I think I think when you first go overseas, you, you, you know, you, you go out with this kind of spirit of adventure and you rightly sort of say, well, you know, I could teach four years in this school and then I could go to another country and then another country and, you know, I could see the world. And I think a lot of a lot of young people uh, probably take that approach. Um, when you've got kids, it's, it's quite different. Um, and what you realise then is you start looking around saying, well, I want the best school for my children. And so that is a driver for you where, where, where you think you don't think so much about where's the next country you start to look at where the best quality education might be for your kids. So that, that's been a, a big piece in terms of my career development was finding the right school for my kids, first of all. And of course, my kids got older and, um, and that, that changed somewhat. Um, in the early days when, you know, when they're the little kids in primary, then, mm. you know, the sense of adventure is, is, is wonderful. But as you start to head towards um, university, uh, and those kinds of decisions, then, then you start to think more seriously about what kind of education you want. And um, two of my kids did did graduate from international schools overseas, uh, one in China and one in Qatar. So they've done the full the full journey as as, as international school students, and uh, we're very happy with the outcomes that they you know they 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 ended up with, uh, and that they're, they're successful, and and a little bit different I think in the marketplace because of the international experience they had. Um, in terms of interests, I think that that's a, a, another good question. Um, I don't think I would have played golf actually if I hadn't gone to Thailand, and um, I never really had much interest in playing golf at all. Um, but um, I worked in Phuket for nine years altogether, which has some of probably some of the best golf courses out there. And when somebody invites you to play golf on a beautiful tropical island uh, with a caddy to carry your clubs and some nice little snack houses where you can get a cold beer and some nice curry as you walk around. 
um, et cetera, et cetera, then you, yeah. you start to think, maybe I could get into this, you know. So certainly, it. yeah, that that has um, that has that that sort of impacted me, but it also stopped me doing other things. I mean, I was um, I was quite a uh, quite interested in rock climbing and, and mountaineering and that sort of thing. And uh, living in the tropical climes, I've done much less of that. Mm. So you know, the, the shifts have been positive and, and 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 negative to some extent. You miss some things and then you gain others. Other things I've carried on doing, playing football. I, you know, I played football um, whilst I was in the UK and then moved overseas. And there's always people who want to play football. So, yeah. Um, you know, yeah. So, so that, that carried on for a good sort of 30 or 40 years. Um, yeah. Nice, nice thing that kind of um, binds people internationally, doesn't it? Kind of sports and, yeah. and yeah. <laughs> football yeah. in particular. <laughs> okay. Mm. I think... Um, in terms of those interests and and how that's kind of um changed uh your life in 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 you know in your interests and, and what you've kind of adopted and and other things that have fallen by the wayside um that also then kind of um falls into our next question about the challenges that you've encountered um in teaching internationally um you know what kind of challenges might people face yeah yeah um there are some significant challenges. Um, there are some major surprises along the way, uh, particularly if you work in in new schools or schools that are that are relatively new. Uh, you you may well discover some things that aren't quite in place as you expected them. Um, perhaps sometimes buildings haven't been finished, um, material hasn't arrived. This week's or this year's textbook, for example, we can't get it, so use something else. You know. Um, you, you you realize your remoteness sometimes when when you're you're teaching in in, in a distant place um, from the world you came from before, where everything was was on tap, everything was 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 at hand. Um, there's also um, other challenges thrown in there. I mean, I, I lived through COVID in China, which was um, a different experience from people in in the rest of the world. Uh, but also, where I was in I was in Phuket when the tsunami hit. Um, you know, things like that. Um, there are experiences that that are, are unique to wherever you happen to be in the world, and and I think living internationally, particularly in, in certain parts of the world, you're, you're actually more likely to come across um, some of those those kinds of um, well tragedies, of course, as as as, as that was. Um, but generally, there's there's a sort of sense of disorder to what you're what you're used to and and i think the disorder comes in in two phases one is that particularly in southeast asia where and and and, and the far east where i've spent a lot of my time um, life is more disordered anyway than than uh, people back in the uk might be used to um and then there's a general sort of lifestyle where time um is, is is not treated in quite the same way you know we 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 tend to use our calendars a lot and we we set meetings for certain times and and in other parts of the world that's not not quite as important um to them as it is to us and so there are some interesting surprises along the way with with things to do with time as well um and the other big piece of course is culture and you because you're living in another culture which you don't really understand and it's unlikely you'll be able to read the local language. Uh, you've got a you've got a major challenge ahead of you there, where you don't really know what's going on much of the time, uh, which can be a blessing, but at times leads to some challenges that come as quite a surprise to you, um, as you can probably imagine when you don't know quite what's going on. 
Absolutely. Have you enjoyed learning about new cultures and trying to acclimatise to new cultures? I think it's been a huge privilege of, of working internationally to get an insight into some of the cultures um, that, are, that are shaping the planet in many ways. I, I, you know, living in China is, is, is very eye-opening in terms of what really goes on as opposed to what I thought went on from, from reading the Western press. Um, China is an amazing country, um, a, a very beautiful country as well, but obviously has a, has a lot of a lot of challenges. But you get an insight um, into Chinese life, um, which you, you certainly cannot get unless you come to live here. Mm. And as a country that's clearly becoming one of the most important, or you know, the most important country on the planet, it's certainly one of them. Um, if you really want to understand it, you, you you should come here and experience it. And I think it's important that we understand how these countries operate. Uh, living in the Middle East was was absolutely fascinating. Um, I, I had no real understanding of of the whole religious piece of, of Islam and, and Arabic culture. Um, that was very, very distant from my understanding. And I, I felt it was a privilege to live there, but also I felt so much wiser when, when I moved on and felt that I could have conversations with people when I actually knew what I was talking about rather than something I read in the newspaper uh, back in the UK. So, yeah. you know, if you're into learning and you really want to appreciate what's going on in the planet, or, you know, around the planet, then these are these are fantastic opportunities. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, you you won't ever really understand, I think, unless unless you can really kind of embed yourself in that culture and learn more from from locals. Um, so finally, how have your experiences shaped your values as a senior leader and your and as an educator? So maybe values that you have picked up along the way in your teaching practice across different regions. How have they shaped you as a senior leader and educator? Yeah, that, that's quite a challenging question in a sense, because I, I often reflect on that to think, well, am I a different person because of this experience? One of the, the one of the aspects of being a senior leader in certainly in this part of the world is that by and large, the the management company, the board, whoever you work for will, will be local. And 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 ultimately you're working for them, they pay your salary. And they may or may not be interested in your opinions that often. You know, it's, it's a case of you're employed to do a job and you do that job. And they generally look after you very well indeed, you know, and, and that's that's a, something to uh, to say straight, straight away. Um, but at the same time, what you realise is, is that if you want to really get along with them and, and also be, be become a voice, be heard, be, be influential, then you have to understand the rules of their culture. And, and in order to do that, Sometimes you you really have to step take a step backwards. Um, when I worked in Thailand, I, I I did an awful lot of work with the board, and I was in the same school there for sort of nine years altogether. And what what happened there is as as I worked more and more with with, with some of the board members, um, I realised that I had to change my approach. Um, and I guess I learned to be far more humble than than I had been before. I think to some extent there, there is a natural arrogance to being a Western school overseas, you know, a British school overseas. You tend to feel that you're bringing you're bringing something special, and people should listen to you because you know you're you're from the home of great universities, which is certainly true. You know, British universities are some of the best in the world, um, but it doesn't work that way. You know, it very much works in a way of saying that yes, you do you do have something to bring, 
Um, but at the end of the day, they don't have to listen. And, and if you do want to influence things, then, then you need to influence things by understanding their culture and working their way, as it were. So I think becoming more humble was, was a really important piece for me, um, which also gave me a lot more peace of mind as well. Uh, and, and some of the frustrations that I, that I had early on uh, tended to disappear, and I enjoyed my work far more. And the same goes for working in China as well. Mm. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. Um, and I imagine then that that is something that kind of really um, enabled you to, to acclimatise to teaching in those different environments, is that understanding of different approaches um, to things and, and uh, taking that step back and, and really leaning into what are the priorities here. Um, what is the future then for BASIS International Schools China? Well, the basis story is really very, very much one of success. I mean, what you can see in China over the three-year period of, of COVID is that a lot of schools really struggled. And this was a period when, when a number of expats left China as well. And some schools have closed. Some schools have reduced their enrollment. And BASIS has opened three new schools. Um, and, you know, and, and in, many, in many of the schools, it is oversubscribed. So the, it, really is, it really is a major success story. And the new schools that, they're, that they have opened and, and are opening are really, really spectacular buildings. So the, you know, the quality um, of the facilities is, is second to none. Um, so you know, the, the name continues to grow, the reputation continues to grow. And now that China is fully open again, uh, I know a lot of people that left are coming back um, because China is a great place to live and a great place to work. And, um, you know, they'll be coming back. The, the, many of the basis people want to come back and work for basis. Um, so if, if it's if, if it's a sort of a model that, that, that interests you, you know, it's, it's, it's very much um, very academically focused, very much focused on, on high-end universities. And you'll be working with kids who, who really, really do want to learn and are very, very talented. And um, it, it is a sort of a a hotbed to some extent there's there's a lot of pressure on um but you know if you like working in that sort of environment the rewards are are immense and uh, a lot of the teachers that do come out and settle into the basis way of doing things will stay with basis um probably until they retire so a great time to come out china is open again um i've just been walking the tiber leap tiger leaping gorge um which is the third deepest gorge in the world uh, during my uh, during my half term break so not only, you know, would you be working for a great network of schools, you'll have opportunities to see a very, very beautiful country. Yeah. Oh, it's great to hear that um, that it's flourishing so much and that things have um, have really kind of opened up so much more now since since COVID. Um, so thank you so much for the interview. I wanted to just uh, ask you um, a couple of quick fire questions to finish. Um, and these are really just designed to be a nice way for us to kind of wrap up our, our discussion today. So the first is, um, do you prefer in-person or remote learning? Oh, yeah, great, great question. I, I was really <laughs> saddened, actually. Yeah, and I'm glad you asked me that question. Um, I, I was really saddened when there seemed to be a move to say that uh, remote remote learning is taking over, and uh, you know, we we don't need the in person stuff anymore. Um, to me, teaching is all about relationships, and the only way you can form those strong relationships is person to person. All of the best teachers in the classroom are those who have great relationships with the kids, 
we all know from online teaching during COVID, you can't build those relationships. Yes. Honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. <laughs> um, do you prefer noisy or quiet classrooms? Um. Wow, that's an interesting <laughs> question. <laughs> I, I went. <laughs> I went. I went down today to. Um, I was down in early childhood today, so you wouldn't expect early childhood to be quiet. Mm. Um, but I think one thing about the basis classrooms is that they're quiet when they should be and they're noisy when they should be. And, there, you know, it, it depends what you're doing. Um, mm. So, you know, there, there are times of even, even down in with, with, with the uh, with the pre-K kids when they're they're really thinking quite hard about something that there's silence in the room. And then at other times there'll be a lot of noise because they want to discuss, they want to debate um they want to make things you know they want people to hear their opinions so yeah a bit of both is is perfect yeah um your favorite subject um as a teaching subject mm -hmm. you mean do you mean to teach to teach your favorite subject whilst you were at school your favorite subject potentially to teach mm -hmm. so i trained as a mathematician um still teach mathematics when i can and really enjoy it but i've i've been writing some courses uh on epistemology so it's sort of a version of philosophy and i've been bringing a lot of mathematical thinking into those courses so i guess they it's somewhere on the fringe between the two and i absolutely i love that stuff you know and and the kids really really got into it in a big way yeah. so um that's my favorite at the moment uh, student sports day or student results day? Student sports day. Yeah. yeah. Joyous occasions. Yes. Any <laughs> any student event, student student yeah, yeah. students performing. <laughs> the best thing about working in schools is the kids performing. Yeah. Uh, love of subject or love of teaching? Um, love of teaching is ultimately you can love your subject but not be that particularly impactful in the classroom but if you really love the teaching aspect you can be much more impactful um yeah yeah, yeah excellent and um finally what advice would you give to somebody who is considering teaching internationally um well i just say do it um you know th there's there's lots of things to worry about and there's, you know, there's lots of, there'll be lots of naysayers. Um, but the the majority of the people I've met in, in my time have been very, very grateful that they, they made the plunge. Mm -hmm. I guess the one thing I would, the, the one analogy I would use uh, is is the roller coaster. And I always, talk, I always talk to new teachers about the 180 day roller coaster. And because international teaching has all these changes and is so intense, that you, you do feel like you're climbing on the start of a roller coaster for 180 days. And if you like roller coaster rides, you'll come off at the other end saying, that was fantastic. I need some downtime, but I'm coming back to do it again. Um, if you like a smooth train ride in the countryside, maybe you shouldn't do it. <laughs> then you might not be listening to this anyway. So. Yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you, Nick, so much for your time. It was a really interesting discussion. You're very welcome, and uh, thank you very much um, for, for giving me this opportunity. It's been an absolute pleasure.